Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. Matthew chapter 1, and we'll get there in just a moment. Um, Someone once said that man can live about 40 days without food. They can live about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, and about one second without hope. We're talking about hope this morning. And our point for this morning is that the only real hope, the only transcendent hope, the only enduring and eternal hope can be found in Jesus Christ, can't be found anywhere else. And so for us, we understand that hope is not some vague concept, not some ambiguous idea, but true hope, hope incarnate, was born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger, and went on to conquer sin and death for us. And about four weeks ago, we started, sorry, last week, we started a four-week series that we're going to do on Advent, looking forward, talking about that hope that came in Jesus Christ. And the purpose in doing this series is that we understand that Christmas has largely been hijacked in our culture, yeah? We understand that somewhere in the mid-20th century or so, our nation began to become more and more secularized. And references to Jesus and God and prayer began to disappear from the public life. And Americans then began to secularize their favorite holiday, of course, it's Christmas. Began to move Jesus out and stick other traditions in. We know what those are, don't we? Santa and elves and Rudolph and Frosty the Snowman and all of these different secular songs that have been added. And Christmas became for our nation more commercial and corporations were happy to promote these new traditions. And what ended up happening that time and ever since is that Christmas, there evolved this way for people who don't want to have anything to do with Jesus to still celebrate Christmas, but to do it without Christ. And they want to celebrate the holiday, but, but they find it incredibly inconvenient to have Jesus stuck in their holiday. Because if you and I celebrate the fact that Jesus came to earth, that, that God Almighty stepped out of heaven and onto this earth at some point during the celebration of that holiday, we have to ask the question, why did he come? We know why he came, because we're wretched sinners with no help and no hope on our own. We need a good and gracious Savior. That's inconvenient for a lot of people's holiday. And so what we're doing this Advent season is we're saying we don't want to get distracted by all of the other things from the real meaning of Christmas. We want to stay centered. We want to keep our families centered on that which is most important. And that a Savior came. 
we could, I know this will sound crazy to some of you, but we could actually do away with every other thing except for Jesus and be okay. I know there are some militant Christmas people that would think that it's blasphemy to say that we could get rid of the Christmas lights and we could get rid of the elves and the reindeers with their glowing noses and all of the rest of the foolishness that we've added, and we would still be okay. But we can't get rid of Jesus and be okay. And that's our point for today, is that without Christ, there is no hope. And so let's read here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This will just lay as a backdrop to everything else we talk about today. But it says there in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been uh, conceived in hers of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And here's the important part. He will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the Lord, through the prophet. Behold, a virgin will be with child, and she'll bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which translates God with us. So last week, we began to look here in the beginning of Matthew, Matthew 1 through 3, and we talked about at that time all of God's fulfilled promises, right? How God had given us these prophecies, these promises ahead of time of what was going to come, and then He pulled them off, brought them to pass, proving that He is faithful, that God is faithful, right? And we pointed out that there's thousands of these prophecies within Scripture pointing to the fact that God is absolutely faithful, that He fulfilled perfectly, proving that the God of the Bible is the true and living God and that this is truly His Word. But then we said that within those thousands of prophecies, there's over 300 prophecies of the Messiah that were fulfilled perfectly at His first coming, proving that Jesus is that long-awaited Savior and that all that He said and all that He did is truth. And our point today is because these things are true, we have hope. Because the Savior came and He paid the price for our sins, we can now have a relationship restored to God. Because this Savior came and paid for our sins, we can have eternal life as our future. And in that, guys, there's great hope. Now, as we move forward, I want to take a second to define hope for us, because there's a couple of different ways that we use this word hope, and you guys realize that words kind of change meaning over time, meaning words that were used a few centuries ago were used, you can see in writings and so forth, differently sometimes than they're used today, and this word hope is the same like that. We uh, often today in our modern common usage of this word hope use it as if it's um, kind of a wish, wanting something to happen. 
We'll say things like, I, I hope I get that job, or I hope there's good weather, or I hope there's fish tacos at the party, right? Because that's always my wish. And we use this thing, this kind of vague optimism, right? This dream, this wish. That, that's usually how we use hope in our modern vernacular today. But there's also another hope, an archaic hope, an old way of thinking of hope. And that's the way the Bible uses the term hope. It's not a wish, but an absolute truth and something that is reliable. Biblical hope is an assurance of something to come because God said it. It's an expectation. It's an anticipation based on God's promise grounded in His character. And that's why last week when we started our Advent season and our Advent series, we started with all of those fulfilled promises by God to show that He is faithful. And because He's faithful, we can put our hope in Him. Our expectations can be in Him based on His character. A verse that helps us understand what this biblical hope looks like is Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17. It'll come up here on your screen. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would not change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have what? Great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. And this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for your souls. I like that. We can trust in Christ. He's proven himself faithful. The anchor our soul. You see what I mean? Biblical hope is this anticipation of something that's going to come true based on God's word and God's power to bring it to pass. An example of this is in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, where it talks about the fact that we have hope laid up in heaven, right? It's not a hope like, I hope there is a heaven. It's not a wish. It's not a vague optimism. It's not a hope as in, well, I hope I make it to heaven because I'm not sure. It's a biblical anticipation of what God has promised because we know his character. It's saying, I know there's a heaven because God told me and I long for it. That's a biblical hope. I know that I'm going to get into heaven because I've surrendered my life to Christ. I belong to him. I've been born again and Jesus promised, therefore, I have this hope. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me, what does it say? Has eternal life. Has it? Not maybe if things work out. It says they have eternal life. They don't come into judgment. They've passed out of death and into life. That's the kind of hope that we're talking about this morning. That strong and trustworthy anchor for your soul. Now, how does that relate to us? Someone once said that hope is the heart's deepest longing. Think about that for just a second. 
Hope is the heart's deepest longing, meaning that there's something built into humanity. There's something intuitive within us that longs for something deeper and better and more meaningful than this world, this life, and our little deal here. People by nature, we're dreamers, aren't we? We long for more than than this. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that God has planted eternity in man's heart, meaning that there's something built into us. There's this sense that is built into us that, that is supposed to give us this feeling that there's more, right? That there's more than this. There's this ultimate fulfillment that we don't see yet. And so the human heart naturally longs for it. Because God built it into us. Augustine said this, and I like it very much. He said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Our heart, the human heart, because it's had eternity and, and, and the sense that there's more something beyond this world. It's restless if we don't find our rest in Jesus Christ. And so as a result, for those people that don't have a relationship with Christ, they go looking in an attempt to to find fulfillment and purpose and meaning and putting their hope in substitutes, in lesser things. Some people have placed their hope in their bank account. And in their possessions, because that's where they're looking for their fulfillment. Others have placed their hope in their intellect and their smarts or their good looks or their ability or a career that they're into. And they look to those things for fulfillment, purpose, and meaning. So they've placed all their hope there. Others have put their whole hope in a person, a relationship that they have. And they look for all their meaning and fulfillment in a person. Other people have bought up all the insurance that they can get. They feel secure in in having bought all of this insurance. And let me say, none of those things are bad if they're kept in their place, but none of those things can save you, church. None of them can save you. And none of them can can fulfill that ultimate longing that is within the human heart. And all of them, every single one of them, will fail you at some point. The money will run out. The smarts will fade. The good looks, the ability, all of that will eventually fade. The career will be over one day. And people will fail you. See, hope can actually be quite dangerous if it's not put in right places there's a good chance that some of your greatest hurts, some of your greatest pains in this life is because you've put your hope in a thing or a person that has let you down and caused you great pain and disappointment. And that's because there's only one who was ever meant to be able to carry that kind of weight of your total hope. You know, I was thinking about hope this year and reflecting back on some of the counseling I did this year, some of the very, very difficult phone calls that I've had to field this year. And um, 
something dawned on me in, in the fact that I've had to deal with more people threatening suicide this year than ever before. And, and, and I don't know why that is, why it's been more prevalent this year. I haven't attributed it to any one thing. Maybe it's just a coincidence. Um, and all of the different situations of each individual that was thinking along the lines of suicide were vastly different. They had different areas of life, different lifestyles, you know, different you know, economic situations. Some were old, some were young. But there was only one common, denom common denominator between all of them. And that one thread, that one common denominator for each and every one of them was hopelessness. That they didn't feel like there was anything in the future for them. And so my goal in sharing with these people was to show them that everything that they had hoped in that had let them down and failed them was never intended to carry the weight that they had placed upon it and to point them to the Lord, the God of all hope, who was intended to carry all of our burden and all of our weight and all of our pain. Paul says it this way, pointing to the fact that, that God is the source of hope. He says in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, he says, I pray that God, the source of hope, you see that? He's the source of hope. God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust Him. And then you'll overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit peace and hope and a heart that otherwise would be hopeless. Paul says, I, I pray that you would have that. I think we witnessed that this morning in Kevin, somebody that just days after one of the most horrific things that's ever happened on this North Shore can get up here and say, I forgive them. You, you don't find that anywhere else but in faith in Jesus Christ. You just don't. It doesn't exist in this world beyond the Lord. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope He has given to those He has called His holy people, rich and glorious inheritance. And here, here's what I believe. That life without hope is unlivable. I mean, you might limp along in depression and be despondent, but that's not really life, is it? It's not the life that you were intended to live. Life without hope is, is, is unlivable. In fact, if you go and you look, if you wanted to do the study on your own and you wanted to look at the statistics of the rate of suicide among atheists, what you would find is that it's absolutely shocking. Or if you were to go and to do a study of the prominent atheists of our past few generations, you'd be shocked at how many of them committed suicide or went insane or did both. And the reason is this, because an atheist is saying that there is no God, therefore there is no heaven, therefore there is no, nothing past this life and there's nothing transcendent. And so for them, when, when their life takes a downward turn and, and the future is only bleak, when they get an illness that's going to rob them of quality of life or they get older and their body begins to break down, 
and there's no future ahead of them. And, and what they see now is, is as good as it's going to get. So often they've committed suicide. What's happened with guys like Ernest Hemingway and so forth. Or, or, or they go insane. Like Frederick Nietzsche, the famous atheist of the past generation. When their present is as good as it's going to get. And everything else looks downhill from here. They have no hope. Where there's no hope, despair sets in, doesn't it? Because hope is all about future, isn't it? Hope's all about the future. It's longing for something better. It's a belief that my future can be brighter than my present. And when you don't believe that you have any future, you become hopeless. And that's where Jesus comes in. And that's why Christmas is so important. And that's why the angel said to Joseph, she's going to bear a son and you're going to call his name Jesus and he's going to save people. He's going to save them from their sins. He's going to give them hope of eternal life. That's why the angel showed up to the shepherds and say, today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. Because Jesus came, Christmas is all about. But he went from there to a cross. He hung on that cross bearing every ounce of my sin and shame and guilt. And he died to set you and I free from the power and the penalty of sin. And he rose again to defeat death. And now we live free from fear. Our future is not bleak any longer. Our forever is taken care of, isn't it? And regardless of what happens to you and I in this life and how tough it gets or any illness that we get or whatever this world throws at us, our future is set and secure in Christ and our forever is glorious in the presence of the Lord. Jesus made no bones about how difficult this world would be. He said in John chapter 16, verse 33, In this world, you will have tribulation. If it had stopped right there, we would not have much hope, would we? The God of the universe just said, in this world, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. There's going to be tribulation. I'm glad he went on. He said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but take courage because I've overcome this world. He said, there's more than what you see. There's more than what's here in this world. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says this, for our citizenship is in heaven. Did you guys get that? This isn't even our home. We're just passing through. We're just sojourners in a foreign land. This isn't our home. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for our Savior. Or how about 1 Corinthians 2, 9? I kind of like this. No eye has seen, And no ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Did you guys get a grasp on what that just said? It just says that that none of us have ever heard of anything so glorious. No one of us has ever seen anything so beautiful. And our minds have never imagined what's waiting for us beyond this world. I like that. 
And that's what allowed Peter to say in 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's saying that it's because of God's great mercy that we're born again. Nothing that we can earn, and it's nothing that we deserve. And that word born again means literally born from above. It's a spiritual transformation that takes place. When we surrender our life to Christ, we put our faith in Him. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's that spiritual transformation. You are born again. You're changed. You're given new life in Christ. Without Christ, we lived under a death sentence. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But it goes on to say, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our, in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. And by grace, you have been saved. And that's why he goes on then to say that you're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And his point is, you and I have a living hope because Jesus lives. He's the only one in all of human history to predict his own death, burial, and resurrection, and then pull it off. And what that means for you and I is we don't follow some dead teacher's philosophy. We're not into some vague optimism of some spiritual guru who's rotting in a grave somewhere. Our hope lives because the one who promised us eternal life has risen from the grave to prove that he has the power over death. And that's why Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. We need to hear that this morning, don't we, guys? And here's one of the beautiful things about the promises of Scripture and the care of a personal God. You understand that God uniquely loves you. You know, sometimes you go for a ride in an airplane, you look down and everybody looks so small, right? You can barely see houses and cars and you think, man, from God's view, we must really look tiny. But that's not His view of us, is it? He loves each and every one of us uniquely. He loves you. He's absolutely nuts about you. And he gave you this promise that it will be him who is there to raise you up on the last day. The last time you take a breath here on earth, guess who the next person is you see? Listen to John chapter 6, verse 37. Those who the Father has given me will come to me, and I'll never reject them. For I have come down from heaven. That's Christmas, isn't it? I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all of those who have been given to me, but that I should raise them up on the last day. For it is the will of the Father, that all who see His Son and believe in Him shall have 
eternal life. And there it is again. And I will raise them up on the last day. And that's why Peter said that we have a living hope. We're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through a faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at your last time. Guys, that's biblical hope. That's the hope that we live with. That We're not citizens of this land. We're just sojourners passing through. We're citizens of heaven. And our hope is on the last day when we take our last breath here We wake up in the presence of Jesus, and He's the one who raises us up. That's hope. That's real hope. And that's why there's a difference in so many people that without God have gone into despair when they start facing eternity, and when hard times come and things look bleak, they go into despair. That while those of us who have our hope firmly rooted in Christ, we have nothing to fear from death. In fact, we eagerly anticipate meeting our Lord and Savior and being in His presence, don't we? That's why for centuries, there have been so many stories of Christian martyrs going to their deaths, singing hymns. as They're tied to a stake or led away into a coliseum to their death. They sing hymns. Why? This isn't their home. This isn't their home. That's why I've been in so many hospital rooms with the terminally ill or people that are elderly and at the end of their life in their last days, and they see the pastor walk in, and oftentimes one of the things they say, don't you dare pray for me to get healed, because I'm going to see my Savior. I've run the race, I've finished the course, i led a good life, and I long, anxiously long for the Savior. And that's why Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, to the believers there that were worried about those who had died, he wrote to them and said, don't worry about them. We don't grieve as the rest who have no hope. He says, we grieve differently than the rest of the world. We don't grieve like the rest of the world that doesn't have hope. Now, that doesn't mean we don't grieve. We grieve, but that grief is largely about us, isn't it? Because we miss that person when they go to be with the Lord. We're grieving for us, but they're not grieving. Why? Because Jesus just raised them up to something that we've never seen, to a glory we've never heard of and can't even imagine. So if you don't have that hope today, you need that hope. You need to come to Jesus. You need to surrender your life to Him. You need to begin to follow Jesus. Maybe in just a moment, I'll I'll give an opportunity. And and if anybody wants to come to Jesus, I'll, I'll pray with you. If you have that hope, it should change the way you live. Take away any fear of this world. It should cause us to live differently with a reckless abandon for Jesus and His kingdom. It should change the way you and I worship when we hold on to that precious hope. Paul said it this way. He said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live in this world is for Christ and to die is gain. What he's saying is that if I go on living, 
I'm going to live this life for Christ and I'm going to be a part of his plan and fulfilling his purpose. And it's giving my life incredible meaning and purpose because I'm on his team and living for his kingdom, living for something much greater than myself. But then he says, when it's time for for me to go and my life is over, he says, it's a game. If I'm living in this world, I'm living for Christ. But when it's my time, then it's a game because I get to go be with Jesus forever in heaven where it tells us in the book of Revelation 21.4 that he'll wipe away every tear. There'll no longer be death, no longer any mourning, no longer any crying, and no longer any pain. I long for that day. And so as we prepare for a time of worship together, I, uh, I want to ask, is there anybody here this morning that would like to Take a stand and come to Christ this morning. You're looking at your life and you say, I don't have that hope and I need that hope. I'm going to ask you to be bold and just stand up where you are and I'm going to lead you in a prayer if you're here this morning. If not, we'll go into a time of worship. But if you're here this morning and you want to be saved, you want to take a stand for Jesus, just stand up right where you are. We're going to go into a time of worship now. And as we do, in a very difficult time, the one thing we can do is think about the fact that we have this hope that's laid up for us in heaven, ready to be revealed in a second. And it's something more glorious than anything you've ever seen, anything you've heard of. And could even imagine, if you sat there all day trying to imagine how glorious it is, would never get it done. And that's what lies before us. And that's what lies, and that's where people are that have gone before us in the Lord. They're in that kind of glory. And so, as we worship, let's worship in accordance with that. Give God the worship that is due his name because he is that good and he is that gracious. Lord, as you take us into a time of worship now, we ask that these truths that we've read from your word this morning would stir in our hearts. That so many around us are heartbroken and grieving. We remember that we don't grieve like the rest of the world. We grieve differently because we have this beautiful hope in you. So Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would fill this place with your spirit right now. And may the worship that comes from our hearts and our lips be in direct response to that beautiful hope that you've given us, that is laid up for us in heaven. We ask you to move in this room right now. In Jesus' holy name, amen.